This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Brennan. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Cousin Shane still missing in action. He will be back for the Pickums podcast. He's told me that. But instead of just me going on here for an hour, reached out to two of our favorite guests, Tony Basilio. Always a treat when the host of the Tony Basilio jumps on the line. He did not disappoint. He's going to talk about Tennessee, Florida. All the anticipation on Rocky Top right now. Tony Basilio's got his finger on the pulse of that Tennessee fan base better than anybody. You guys will really, really like this conversation. And then Ty Richardson host of the Morning Rush ESPN Arkansas Radio. Boy, does he hate them Texas A&M Aggies. He's going to be on the show to talk some Arkansas, Texas A&M. Both of these interviews are really, really outstanding. Some really entertaining moments in each of them. But before we get to those interviews here, I've been holding off. You know, I already expressed I'm not a big fan of the schedule release in the middle of the season. I know the schedules have been out for a little while, but I have not looked at a single one of them. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I have them posted right here on this computer. I'm going to go through them one by one and just give you my read on uh, each and every 2023 schedule after the SEC announced these on Tuesday evening. So this, I thought, was the best way to hit on all 14 SEC programs on this show. So let's just start in alphabetical order. Alabama first on the docket here. Middle Tennessee, that's a joke. September 2nd, that's when your season starts. Texas, we're getting the return of that incredible game we got. And who knows who the quarterback will be. Ty Simpson, Jalen Milrow, battle, maybe even a transfer down there. Because I don't think Bryce Young is coming back. But hell, maybe he will if he gets $10 million in NIL. (laughs) Maybe it's worth it to come back to college. So that could be a pretty interesting showdown down there in Tuscaloosa. Of course, a future... Conference game there at South Florida. What? Alabama at South Florida. Why in the hell is Alabama going to South Florida? That's pretty weird. They must have got a three for one on that deal. First conference game, Ole Miss at home. Lane train coming to Tuscaloosa. That's always entertaining. Goodness, look at this. Look at this stretch of games, though, for Alabama. So Ole Miss at home at Mississippi State and those cowbells at Texas A&M. Then Arkansas at home, Tennessee at home. Good night. That This looks like the toughest stretch of five conference games I've ever seen Nick Saban have to play. Man, I wonder, hmm, I guess he, he ain't bribing the SEC office quite as much as he used to down there in Tuscaloosa, I guess. Again, Ole Miss at home. At Mississippi State, though, then at Texas A&M. Coming back for Arkansas and Tennessee, that is a tough, tough slate when you consider the arrow is pointed up on all those programs. 
Man, that's tough. Then they get a bye week, come home for LSU. Brian Kelly, year two, you got to imagine LSU is going to be even a better team. And then at Kentucky late in the year, ooh, I bet those Wildcats are hoping that they're cold weather, freezing, frosting. You know, that's going to be a big one there. Kentucky hosting Alabama in Lexington. UT Chattanooga and then the Iron Bowl on the road. It's definitely not an easy slate for Alabama. It's not often we say that. I mean, hell, they're going to be favored in probably 11 to 12 games next season. No Georgia on the schedule, but that's a tough, tough little slate for the Crimson Tide. Now let's go to Arkansas, open the season in Little Rock against Western Carolina. Damn, there's a Western Carolina now? I had no idea. Kent State, BYU making that return trip week three. But, ooh. Look at this slate here. Man, they go a month without having a home game at LSU. Why in the hell is Arkansas LSU in September? I don't know. That's that's going to be the first time I've ever seen that. Battle of the Boot used to be uh, the last game of the year. A&M Arlington. Okay, we're still doing that at least one more year. At Ole Miss, at Alabama. Good God. And then Mississippi State at home. I don't know what Sam Pittman did to the SEC office, but they clearly hate him. I mean, how could you hate Sam Pittman, the most fun-loving guy in the world? Yet, here we go. We got at LSU, A&M in Arlington, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. We go a month, we don't have a home game? And then we got to come back to face Mississippi State and their wacky offense? I don't like that. At least you get a bye week before they send you on the road again at Florida. Oh, my God. Billy Napier, year two, you got to imagine the Gators are going to be improved. Florida at home, Florida International at home, finishing the season home for Missouri. I thought Alabama had a tough slate. I think Arkansas has just slid a little bit tougher. I mean, the beginning and the end, very manageable, but the meat of that schedule, good night. Good luck, Sam. All right, Auburn, next on the docket. You host UMass. Okay, that's an easy one. At California. It's not often we get a SEC school heading out west. That could be an interesting game. Sanford at home should be 3-0. And then here we go at A&M, Georgia at home, open date at LSU, Mississippi at home, Mississippi State at home, at Vanderbilt, at Arkansas, New Mexico State, and finally Alabama hosted them for the Iron Ooh, man. Maybe Urban will take this Auburn job. Look at this schedule. This is a manageable, if you can call it that, with Alabama, Georgia on the road at A&M and Arkansas manageable, but and LSU on the road. Well, second thought, this may not be that manageable. But it, it certainly looks a lot easier to navigate this one than uh, the Alabama or Arkansas one. So right now my favorite, Auburn, for you can't call these schedules easy, but uh, maybe the path of least resistance here. How about Florida? At Utah, going to make that return trip. Be a little bit of a revenge game for the Utes. you got to be careful there. McNeese State, Tennessee at home, Charlotte at home. I like that stretch for the Gators. At Kentucky, Vanderbilt at home, at South Carolina, and then an open date. Man, this, this is a pretty good one here for Florida. Obviously, Utah on the road is not going to be easy. Kentucky at home, not easy, but... You know, who knows what these teams will look like a year from now, but Tennessee at Kentucky, Vanderbilt at South Carolina. Florida fans feel like they could win all those games, and maybe they will. Open date again, 
October 21st. Then they get, of course, Georgia and Jacksonville, Arkansas at home, at LSU, at Missouri, Florida State at home. I think Billy Napier's got to be pretty happy. I'm, I'm bumping this one up to uh, the best schedule right now for the Florida Gators in 2023. Now the Georgia Bulldogs. Ooh, doggy, you're going to be favored in every game as I'm sitting here looking at it. UT Martin, come on. Come on now. Ball State, South Carolina at home, UAB at home. So four straight games to open the season in Athens for Kirby. He's got to love that. At Auburn, Kentucky at home, at Vanderbilt. Good night. You're going to be favored in by 30 points in, in every game the first half of the season. Cruising. Georgia's cruising to 6-7-0 and here. Open date, Florida and Jacksonville. Missouri at home. Ole Miss at home. At Tennessee, that could be tricky, depending on what the Vols look like. At Georgia Tech, for what is essentially going to be a UGA spring game. All right, amending my statement. Georgia, you're sliding up to the best schedule slate. Georgia, Florida, Auburn, looking pretty good right now. Kentucky, here's your schedule. Ball State at home. Eastern Kentucky at home. Akron at home. Good God. Credit Mark Stoops. This is how you built your program into uh, what it is today. But we got to do a little bit better moving forward here. Again, Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, and Akron right out the gate. At Vanderbilt, oh, God. Florida at home. This is a real opportunity here for Kentucky to be 5-0 and right out the gate. Big, big game in Athens at Georgia the following week. Missouri at home. You get the open date. And you get Tennessee at home. Two weeks to prepare for Tennessee. Gotta love that if you're Mark Stoops and company. At Mississippi State, Alabama at home, at South Carolina, at Louisville. Man, this second half is rough. I'm going to go over that one more time. Tennessee at home, at Mississippi State, Alabama at home, at South Carolina, at Louisville. It's a very, very difficult second half of the season for Kentucky. But the first half sets you up to be, what, 6-1. and one. If you take care of business, should easily be. And hell, who knows? Maybe, of course, Georgia sends 15 players to the NFL. They, they're even better. So maybe you don't want them to send 15 more players to the NFL, even though they're probably going to. Who knows what Georgia will look like next year? But who knows? Maybe you're undefeated next year going into that Tennessee game. LSU. Interesting. Return game with Florida State. This one is in Orlando, however. It's going to be on a Sunday once again. Grambling at home, at Mississippi State, Arkansas at home, at Ole Miss, at Missouri, Auburn for home, Army home, open date, two weeks to prepare for the road trip to Alabama. That's gonna be that's gonna be tough. Florida at home, Georgia State at home, Texas A&M at home. So a three-game slate to end the season. You gotta like that if you're an LSU Tiger. You know this is uh, this schedule is filled with landmines, but kind of the middle of it if you can navigate a trip to Oxford and Auburn at home you got to feel pretty good about the the meat of your schedule here to set up for this uh, really difficult ending stretch if I'm Brian Kelly and company I think I'm happy with that now how about Ole Miss they got a case of Kentucky down there in Oxford look at this non-conference schedule Mercer at home at Tulane (laughs) Georgia Tech at home and there are, there are other non-conferences. UL Monroe. Oh, my God. Come on, Kiffin. you got to be doing a little bit better than that. Georgia Tech's your toughest one, and, and they're at home. 
Fourth week of the season at Alabama, so you should be 3-0 and going into that pivotal game. LSU at home and Arkansas at home before you get to a bye week. You got at Auburn, Vanderbilt at home, A&M at home, at Georgia. Oh, God. Anytime you, you're you a West team and you swing that Georgia game, it's bad news. So maybe I can kind of see what they're thinking with this non-conference schedule. And, of course, the Egg Bowl on the road in Starkville, November 23rd, a Thursday. So there's your the Ole Miss schedule. Mississippi State, we got southeastern Louisiana right out the gate. Home for Arizona, home for LSU. Got to take advantage of this home slate right out the gate. Got to be 3-0 and before we get down to some of these tougher games if we want to have a great season, if we're a Bulldog. At South Carolina, Alabama at home, Western Michigan at home. At worst, we should be, you know, 4-2, and two, really, probably 5-1 and one if you take care of business. If you're Mississippi State, got to like that. Then you get the open date at Arkansas, at Auburn, Kentucky at home, at A&M. Southern Miss and Ole Miss at home. So, man, a lot of Miss in Mississippi State schedule there, I'm just noticing. But that's a pretty favorable one, if I think, if I'm a Bulldog. Missouri, South Dakota, they got a school. I had no idea. Right out the gate, Middle Tennessee State, week two. Kansas State, week three. And to be determined, they don't even, we don't even have a game here. Uh-oh, Missouri, got to get on the phone and call somebody. <laughs> but that... Oof, that's rough because that means the entire rest of your slate is SEC games. At Vanderbilt, obviously manageable. LSU at home, at Kentucky, South Carolina at home, open date at Georgia, Tennessee at home, Florida at home, at Arkansas. Good God. I think Missouri's got the most difficult slate in the SEC East, obviously looking past that first month, but... It's the other two months that's that's going to be a problem for them Tigers. South Carolina, why, why do we keep scheduling these games? I do not know why we're trying to rebuild it. But North Carolina, right out the gate, games in Charlotte. This is something South Carolina always does. They, they're playing NC State. They play ECU. They play Appalachian. Go the, the Kentucky, the Ole Miss route. Build up your non-conference wins while we're still trying to build up this program. I don't know what the hell you're doing there. Furman, we, get us more Furmans on the list. <laughs> at Georgia, oh God, week three, Mississippi State at home the following week at Tennessee. Then you get a bye week. You get two weeks to prepare for Florida at Missouri, at Texas A&M. And then hey, how about this though? Four straight home games to finish the season. Jacksonville State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Clemson. I like this schedule for South Carolina. I mean, there's some tough games there, obviously, but finish strong. You could have one hell of a year there. This would be a great one for Beamer and company year three to build some momentum. The tail end, you got to finish strong, though. That's going to be critical. Tennessee, how about this schedule? I hate these non-conference games. Virginia in Nashville makes no sense. Let's do home and home if we're going to play Virginia. Austin P at home, at Florida, UTSA at home, South Carolina at home. Very manageable right out the gate for Tennessee. Could be 4-1. and one. Could be 5-0. and oh. You got to win in Gainesville, though. That's going to be tough. You got to beat South Carolina at home. Then you get an open date. You got two weeks to prepare for Texas A&M coming to Neyland Stadium. How about that? Of course, I think they did that during the COVID year, but that was a weird year. Other than that, I don't know if they've ever been to Neyland Stadium. At Alabama, at Kentucky. Tough, tough 
two-game stretch right there. UConn. They still got a football team. They're coming down to Neyland, apparently, at Missouri. And then Georgia, Vanderbilt to close out Georgia week, the second to last week of the season. I don't think I've ever seen it that late on Tennessee's schedule. That's pretty wild. Texas A&M, you got New Mexico at home. At Miami, that return trip, UL Monroe, Auburn, all those games aside from Miami are at home. So you're going to get a really good start to the season. You take care of business at home. Arkansas and Arlington, of course. Alabama at home. At Tennessee, two weeks off. You get the, the open date. Two weeks to prepare for the South Carolina Gamecocks. At Ole Miss, Mississippi State at home. Abilene Christian at home. And at LSU. Man, I like that first month of the season for A&M, but the rest of it, it, aside from Abilene, is a damn gauntlet. Jimbo, I don't know what you did, brother, but you pissed off somebody. Oh, I know what you did. You, you've accused Nick Saban. Okay, that makes sense. Vanderbilt, last but not least here. Hawaii, getting that return game in Nashville. Alabama A&M should be 2-0 right out the gate. At Wake Forest, that return game. At UNLV. Why is Vanderbilt going to UNLV? That's so weird. I guess I needed a paycheck. Kentucky at home. Missouri at home. This is, The schedule sets up pretty well. No Alabama on it. At Florida. Georgia at home. Okay, it's getting tougher. <laughs> Open date at Ole Miss. Auburn at home. At South Carolina. Op- Open date. They got another open date? I guess they must be playing week zero. Two weeks to prepare for Tennessee at Tennessee. That's pretty wild. I don't know if I've ever seen a team have an open week before the finale, but that's how Vanderbilt's schedule shakes out. So there, hey, that that was literally my live reaction to each and every SEC schedule. <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be the last time I talk about these damn schedules for this season. We're in the middle of a football season. Don't bother me with this stuff, but that's how I view these schedules. All right, hey, we're back once again with Stephen Lassen, the college football encyclopedia. And Stephen, man, I... I feel horrible because I've had so many people reach out to me. What the heck? You completely omitted Auburn, Missouri, SEC opener for both teams. This was not a mistake on your end. This was a mistake on my end. But you were kind enough to rejoin me to spend a couple minutes previewing this matchup. Thank you, my friend, for for joining us for the second time this week. Hey, Mike. It's good to be back uh, for the second time this week. And, uh, you know, go go easy on Mike. It's it's my fault to, to some extent, too. I mean, I'm the idiot who had the games printed off in front of me, and here I am <laughs> checking them off as we talk, and we forget about it. So we we'll, we'll apologize to, to Missouri and Auburn there. So how – I mean, I know a lot of maybe people around the nation, this is not necessarily a game they'll be circling, but this is a very, very important game for a lot of different reasons. So many narratives here. Obviously, the Brian Harson hot seat, Eli Drinkwitz, I don't want to put him on the hot seat, but he could go a long, long way to to cooling any of that talk with a win on the road against what has historically been one of the the powers in the SEC West. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, just on on so much storylines going into this matchup, Stephen? Yeah, I think you summed it up well. I, I think there's a lot of coaching intrigue for me. Uh, number one, of course, Brian Harson. I think needs to win some games uh, at, you know, certainly with all the pressure on him. And of course, I think we know what's going to happen at some point for, for Auburn, but you can cool a little bit of that pressure uh, with the win on Saturday. And I think for Missouri, I think coming into the season, we thought they were somewhere between a five, six, seven win team. 
And I think this is one of those potential swing games that you need to win in order to get to a bowl game. You know, Missouri has struggled on the road in SEC play under Eli Drinkowitz. So I think to your point, going on the road to Auburn and getting a victory would be a huge um, you know, opportunity for Missouri. You mentioned it there. It's one of the, you know, it's one of the best atmospheres stadiums in the SEC. But I mean, this is not your Auburn, you know, top 10 team. So they're they're vulnerable in this spot. So I think if that's what I'm looking for for Missouri. When they went on the road, they got beat by Kansas State handily. Have they improved since that second game of the year? Uh, kind of off topic on, on this game, it is, I think, a kind of important reason why there needs to be uh, nine games in the SEC. Like the fact that this is Missouri's first trip uh, to Auburn in the SEC uh, speaks to, I think, the need to shake up the schedule. Yeah, Penn State visited Auburn before Missouri did. I mean, what the heck? Eh? <laughs> yeah. Now, nothing official, but it's being reported by many people, Stephen, that T.J. Finley, Auburn's starting quarterback, going to miss this game. How does that, uh, uh, you know, factor into this ball game, in your opinion? In the way I hear it, Stephen, I think Zach Calzada is interested in taking a medical redshirt, so we may never see him on the field as an Auburn Tiger. Uh, what, again, what's your thoughts on, on Auburn if they have to go with uh, Robbie Ashford as their only option, really, at quarterback? Yeah, this is, I mean, I think Auburn's quarterback room was kind of the source of the intrigue this offseason because you had Finley, who was hurt last year, up and down, kind of the same thing so far this season, up and down. You know, I think his uh, his Twitter activity shows us that uh, there might you know, the pressure along the offensive line has been a real problem, and and it has been. But I think turnovers at the quarterback position for Auburn very broadly. I mean, you know, I think six interceptions through uh, three games. You know, that number needs to be a lot lower. I, I'm interested to see what Robbie Ashford has in a full game setting. You know, we haven't seen that yet for Auburn. I think you know Ashford and Tank Bigsby making plays on the ground might be Auburn's best chance to win this game and moving forward. I think Tank Bigsby needs to be more involved period going forward. So I I've been interested in Ashford since the spring. He seems like the wild card uh, of this quarterback room. We've seen him play some, uh, but not over the course of a full game and a start. So I will be interested just to see what Ashford has on Saturday, because at this point, like you said, uh, with Calzada and Finley being out, I mean, he's clearly the the option at this point, unless they want to throw uh, Holden out there as a true freshman. And what was your level of surprise, Stephen, that uh, Penn State was basically able to run at will on Auburn's defense? Uh, you know, they, they've got some good players. Derek Hall is one of the best defensive linemen in the SEC. Owen Popo, you know, he's very experienced. Uh, what was your level of surprise, and do you think – not that Missouri is is the equal to Penn State on the ground, but you know that's what drink that's what he's his offenses have really been based upon in the SEC and even his one year at Appalachian is the running game. Do you think Missouri will be able to have some success uh, against Auburn uh, on their their run defense? Yeah, that's a great question, Mike. Because uh, first of all, going back to last week. I mean, I was really surprised at Penn State. Penn, Penn State came into the season with major offensive line question marks. They didn't have a 100-yard rusher last season. And it wasn't just that they didn't have the running back. The offensive line was awful. Uh, Nick Singleton coming in as a true freshman has really changed Penn State's running back room. He's clearly the best one they've got. But the offensive line has improved. But for them to just go in and, and kind of impose their will 
on the ground like that was surprising to me. It's And not only that, it was the pass protection that they gave Sean Clifford. I, I thought one of the reasons, if you were an Auburn fan going into that game, that maybe you had some optimism to hang around would be the line of scrimmage. Like you could get a pass rush. You could also stop the run. You could force them into long yardage situations and sort of protect some of the, the concerns that showed up in the secondary against San Jose State. So I was really surprised at the, the line of scrimmage and the way it played out for Auburn. I think looking forward to Saturday, you know, I think Missouri from a team perspective, you know, Brady Cook's been good at getting yards on the ground. It's been more by collective in terms of the distribution of carries. So I am interested to see if they can maybe at some point settle on one running back. But I think and if broadly, I think for Missouri, they need to get a better play out of that offensive line. We saw at Kansas State, this group struggled uh, to get the run going. We have three data points, Louisiana Tech, Abilene Christian, and Kansas State, and the Kansas State game is the one that stands out. So I, I would be concerned if I'm Missouri, uh, but based upon the way that Penn State moved the ball, there may be some more opportunities than we envisioned uh, maybe two or three weeks ago. Yeah, this could be a really ugly game, Stephen. Two of the uh, you know, lower-performing, I guess if you want to say, offensive lines in the SEC. But one bright spot for Missouri is that defense. They've been – I know Kansas State kind of had their way with them, but if you know outside of that, this defense has been probably the the more consistent uh, unit on this Missouri uh, football team this season. I know it's a young season, but how does the the Missouri defense match up against? Again, we kind of hinted at it. Auburn's rough, uh, you know, work in progress offensive line, a quarterback that hey, he's he's. I don't think he's thrown maybe one touchdown, but he's thrown multiple interceptions. Um, how does the Missouri defense match up against Auburn's offense? Yeah, I think it's a, this should be an interesting matchup because if you go back to last season, you know, th- this Missouri defense really struggled, but they played better later in the season. And I think the infusion of all the transfers combined with the, the confidence scheme change that they had at the end of last year, I mean, I do think this group is better. The flip side of it is, you know, Abilene Christian, Louisiana Tech with a new coach and scheme. You wonder kind of how much of a test have they faced. And of course, Kansas State was able to move the ball on the ground. But Auburn has been struggling so much offensively that, you know, sure, even if Missouri's numbers maybe aren't quite reflective of where they will end up at the end of the year, you have a quarterback who, you know, the the Auburn offense has had trouble with interceptions. You have question marks at receiver. You know, can Auburn get a consistent push on the offensive line, I think will be a a question mark. So if I think if I'm a Missouri fan, I'm looking at this game going, hey, Auburn's sitting here. They've got question marks about the coach. The offense has been inconsistent. They're kind of wounded going into this game in Missouri. If they can play like they did against Louisiana Tech or Abilene Christian, like they have a chance to go on the road and get a victory. Yeah, and I don't want to look too far ahead, Stephen, but do you think it's fair to say that – for both of these teams, really, if they want to go to the postseason, make a bowl game, they have to win this game. Is that fair? I think that's probably fair. You know, I think especially for Missouri, you know, I think as we look at Missouri's schedule, they still have some winnable games in the SEC, still play Vanderbilt. The South Carolina game may or may not be a toss-up depending on how South Carolina shapes up. But I think for Auburn, you know, with the SEC West, that slate that they still have to play, still have to play Georgia, of course, they need to win this game. In the preseason, you know, I think most had them six, seven wins. You could argue Penn State was a toss-up game by some uh, in the preseason. So if you lose this game, 
you know, finding a path to six wins gets a lot tougher. And that even doesn't take into account LSU improving. I think Ole Miss is going to get better. So, yeah, I think if I'm Auburn, uh, must win certainly for, for bowl implications. And for Missouri, the East is easier, but this is one of those gettable games that if you get, it makes your, your path to six a lot more feasible. All right, Stephen, I, I never ask you for a prediction, but I feel like I got us since we – since we omitted this game, I want to give these fans a little bit, a uh, little, little bit of a bone here. Uh, can you give us your prediction, Missouri on the road at Auburn? I'm going to reluctantly pick Auburn. I will be honest with you, Mike. I have no idea what to expect in this game <laughs> for the reasons that you mentioned. I mean, there's so many like X factors and unknowns here. You have also the familiarity between the two coaches, Drake and Harson, working together in the past. So. Does Drinkowitz know something on Harson's uh, schemes that they can take advantage of? I, I know the the interesting thing to me is the spread is at seven and a half, and um, you know we've kind of joked at some with some others at Athlon that you know this game is either an Auburn blowout or Missouri wins. Like it's almost like no in between. But I think I'm leaning to take Auburn here. I think they hold serve at home, but I also think it's going to be probably pretty close just because both these teams right now seem to match up. Uh, pretty even based upon what we saw and the questions coming into this game. All right, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us once again and giving these Mizzou and Auburn fans uh, the coverage they deserve. Again, sorry for omitting it last time we spoke earlier this week. Hey, man, thanks for having me on again. It was great to be on and uh, looking forward to all the games this weekend. The podcast is brought to you by Fubo TV. Fubo TV gives you complete coverage of college and pro football with NFL Red Zone also included, plus games in 4K at no extra charge. If you want to be like me and get rid of cable, Fubo TV could be your solution. Over hundreds of channels of live sports and entertainment for only a fraction of the cost of cable. Watch on all your devices with a cloud-based DVR, up to a 1,000 hours of cloud-based DVR included in this. There's no contract, no commitment. You can cancel at any time. And right now, Fubo TV is giving you free Fubo for seven days and get a 15% off your first month if you go to FuboTV.com slash SEC. That's F-U-B-O-T-V dot com slash S-E-C. You can try it for free for seven days and get 15% off your first month. Let's get to our outstanding interview here with Tony Basilio, one of the best out there. Hey, well, we're pleased to be joined by one of the best in the business, Tony Basilio. You know him from... The Tony Basilio Show, of course, TonyBasilio.com. Tony, how you doing, brother? Michael, I am. I if I was any better, it'd be five of me, and I'd be hanging out with you right now. <laughs> I just got done listening to your show. I, I want to ask you a little bit about that. You just had Clay, Casey Clawson on the show, the Florida Gator Terminator, so to speak. Uh, I mean, this is this is the the week every Tennessee fan gets up for I can't imagine how much fun you're having this week on your show well it's you know it's more fun than than past years because Tennessee comes into this game as a double digit favorite 
which I don't know since I've been here and I've been doing this for close to 30 years. I don't know that that's ever occurred. I mean, they've been double digit underdogs in this thing before, but they're clearly better than this Florida team. This Tennessee fan base desperately needs this team to win Saturday just to kind of validate that this thing's heading in the right direction because if Tennessee fails Saturday, it'll be 17 out of 18 years they they would have lost to this Florida team. And it's one thing to lose 17 out of 18 years to Alabama or to Georgia or to anybody that's contending you know, in college football or near the top of the sport. Florida's been a middling football team for a decent part. I mean, Florida fans listening to your podcast would admit that. I mean, they've won a couple divisions, but, I mean, they've gone through several coaches. Uh, and, and Tennessee has invented ways to lose this game. And, you know, I've been saying on the air, I think Tennessee's going to win and one of the reasons why I really think they're going to win is I just think it's time. I think sometimes in sports, you just, you get to that spot where it's time. And I, I think that's what's going on here. And does anybody need this win more than Josh Heupel with the, the building of his program? You know, that's a great point. I mean, in one way, I don't think if Tennessee fails, which I don't think they're going to fail, but if that were to happen, I don't think it's like some, terrible indictment of Josh Heupel. What it is, though, it's an opportunity for him, and it's really a no-risk opportunity for him because he's only in his second year. And when he got here, this thing was woefully broken, woefully understaffed from a talent perspective. A bunch of broken spirits on that team had come back. Jeremy Pruitt was just a horrendous head coach. He had no idea what he was doing he was just really bad um the guy before him butch jones was just a just a just a maniac um and so you know pruitt uh, um uh, hypo's come into a spot here where um it was going to be very difficult not to look excellent by comparison you win saturday in front of a what will be a packed house with a ton of recruits on hand and you really jumpstart your rebuilding process. I think it moves it up a couple of years. I really do. Are you surprised at all? I mean, he's cutting jokes in the press conference. He seems cool and calm and collected as can be. I mean, I, I'm surprised seeing it from a Tennessee coach just cause I don't know that, that I've seen that since Fulmer. Um, but, but that probably speaks to just his confidence and, and his swagger heading into this matchup. Don't you think we were talking today off the uh, off the air, and I was telling my guys before we got started, we do a little meeting before we get going, just so we can go over like what we're going to talk about. I like to keep it as spontaneous as possible, but I do like to tell them, "Hey, this is what I'm hearing," and then, "Hey, let's compare notes. What are you hearing?" One of the things I conveyed to them was the staff is extremely confident about this game. Extremely confident about this game. The Players are very, very confident about this game. And then the fan base is traumatized. Players and staff know, though, that this game for Tennessee is about executing. 
So, and and I think Tennessee's going to execute. I, I think they're going to play well. Yeah, and you had Casey Clawson, former Tennessee quarterback, of course, on your show today. Go back. I recommend the audience. Really great interview there with, with Tony. And he said something that I had just never really – never crossed my mind that, you know, we all know the demons with this series, but this this generation of player does not carry that with them. I mean, heck, the, the starting left tackle for Tennessee used to play for Florida. I mean, with the transfer portal, with, uh, you know, everything that, that college football is now, I don't think – that emanates down to the roster at all. Do you agree with that? You know, I don't know. Um, I still think it's human beings playing. Um, I don't know. Because this has been a very befuddling series down through the years, and Tennessee's just found ways to lose. I will say that, you know, Casey made a made an interesting point. The thing about the portal is, right, the portal has – allowed you to rebuild your team a lot quicker than before. And also in this era, we're getting ready to jump in where we're throwing away so many rivalries, like the Southeastern conference schedule is going to be reworked as we all know. And I don't think Florida is going to be in Tennessee's pod when they announce how they're going to do that. And so, you know, the slate, for a lot of this is going to be wiped clean because a lot of these things that we've found to be traditional are going to go away. And the sport's more going to mirror its NFL counterpart, which, I mean, we can make a case, well, is that better or worse? Right now in college football, Tennessee just announced their schedule for next year. There are so many horrendous games on that schedule next year. And, I mean... You know, the old, the old adage of little sisters of the poor, I was expecting to see them in week 11. I mean, there were just so many throwaway games. College football has to be careful, Mike, in my opinion, uh, with regards to um, got to give me some good matchups. Got to give us something to watch. Last weekend, for instance, you know, last weekend was not a great week for college football. I love the game. I know you love it, too. But I don't like turning on TV and seeing a bunch of blowouts. Mm -hmm. So that's why this Tennessee-Florida game is going to be very compelling. I do think there's a path where Tennessee really puts it on this team this weekend, though. I really do. And one thing Casey said back to that interview, which you can you can hear over at tclub.team, my website. Again, it's tclub.team. We're going to be live as soon as all these games go final we're live over there i would bet you if tennessee wins we'll go on the air about seven i would bet you i'm on the four o'clock in the morning probably eight or nine hours now now you're chuckling at that but to your to your audience am i lying when i say that no you've gone longer than that i I know you have and i just i just think it's amazing you're the only one that i know that does it and i don't know how you do it but Again, it, it and this is you got callers nonstop. This is not just you sitting here spieling. This is this is you. Yeah, with oh about yeah, so a hundred yeah. different people. Well, I have thousands of people listening all over the world, and the more we go into the wee small hours of the morning, the more inebriated and crazy people get. <laughs> and if Tennessee wins the game, probably going to do an eight-hour post game. And if Tennessee loses, probably going to be on till Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern time when my show starts. Right. 
Because people are going to be so tore up if they lose this game. I mean, Mike, I have personally walked out on that wire. I've talked more trash. I told myself I was never going to do this again in this Florida series. Because it's really foolish and it's a fool's errand and Tennessee's lost 16 of 17 games. But this matchup is such. And Florida has such a dearth of playmakers. And they're in such a tweener year just in terms of they've got a, They have Billy Napier who plays all close games anyway. So he wants to be in close games anyway. Right. Even when he's much better than you, he holds it down and everything's close, you know, and to the wire. And Tennessee will beat Florida playing that way. And Tennessee will beat Florida if it turns into a, a slugfest scoring like a scoring type game. There's no way Florida has the playmakers to keep pace with Tennessee, even with Tennessee's best receiver, Cedric Tillman, missing this game, which I think he's going to miss the game. I'm I'm. I'm almost certain he's going to miss the game. All right, you referenced the confidence from the, the coaching staff. Is it, I mean, dare I say they're so confident. I know they'll play Cedric Tillman if, he's, if he was 100%, if he was healthy, I get it. But are they so confident they feel like they can win this game without him, you think? You know, I'm not. I asked that question. Here's what I was told. We, right now, unless he has a miraculous recovery, we don't want to, because he, he got banged up in his ankle and his knee on some different plays. Mm-hmm. We don't want to further injure him and thus not have him the rest of the way. So, does that mean they think they can win the game without him? I mean, it sounds to me like if needed, need be, he could play. The truth is... They've got the Holiday and the Callaway and this guy and that guy. The problem is, is that he, so far this season, is averaging way into double-digit targets. The last real game they played, he had 18 targets at Pittsburgh, which you and I both know, that's an enormous number. To throw the ball 18 times at one wide receiver, and it only speaks to one thing, which is, He's Hendon Hooker's safety blanket. You know, he is, he is, it's his blanket and going to be without him in a really big game. It looks like he's going to be without him. How good is this Tennessee defense, Tony? Do you, are you buying, you know, their, their numbers look great, but they haven't played anybody. No, I'm not buying that. The defense is not very good. The issue with the defense is, look, I keep it real, okay? Caden Slovis was over 200 yards passing in the first half of that game at Pittsburgh a few weeks back. Caden Slovis got injured. Tennessee knocked him out of the game. They hit him several times and knocked him out of the game. And that's part of the sport. Caden Slovis does not get knocked out of the game. See, I keep it real. And I'm this makes this makes my listeners mad from time to time because I'm totally drinking the Kool-Aid on this Florida game, but I'm also going to keep it real with you. Tennessee's defense that day in space was not good. Uh, They allowed a long run. They allowed a couple long catches and runs. They take bad angles, pursuit angles. If I believed that Florida had the wherewithal on the perimeter, I wouldn't be talking like this. But Florida doesn't. Florida doesn't. Last week in the South Florida game, there was a ball that went up in the air. 
And not only uh, didn't the Florida receiver on the play, a former five-star kid, not only did he, uh, what's a, uh, what's the kid's name? Not only didn't he shorter catch shorter, he didn't even knock the ball down. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Shorter. And you know, he's a decorated veteran receiver. Like, you got to help your quarterback out there. And so I look at that Florida team and I go, not a lot of ball skill. You've got a freshman quarterback, despite that he played last year. But Anthony Richardson, for all intents and purposes, has never played a road game. That's a freshman quarterback in a first-year system going on the road. They're missing their middle linebacker, who's the quarterback of their defense. Um you know, this would be the most painful, painful loss of them all by far if Florida figured out a way to beat Tennessee because I just don't see it happening. Does Anthony Richardson scare you at all? I mean, or not at all? Yeah, if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. But, but here's what we don't know. Have they not been running him for the last six quarters of football because he took a couple of really hard hits in the Kentucky game and it hurt him? Subsequently, they lost the game, but he quit doing Anthony Richardson things in that game after he got hit twice really hard. And then some would say, well, you know, they knew they could beat South Florida last week by just keeping him back there and not letting him run. I don't buy that. I mean, if if South Florida executes, the Florida Gators are one and two right now with a loss to South Florida, which would have been a, just a horrible result for them. You tell me. I, I don't think football staffs uh, say, okay, well, we're just not going to run this guy today. We're going to save him for Tennessee because we can th- get through this game. And meanwhile, we've got an opponent that's rushed for over 300 yards on us, and we didn't run him at all last week. I think what it is is they don't trust their backups. Billy Napier at his teleconference a few minutes ago said that the, the kid and the kid had a really great practice this week. I buy that. I mean, sure. You think that kid and the kid's going to play in this game Saturday? You think they want that kid and the kid to play in this game Saturday? No. Uh, That'd be negative. (laughs) So, you know, at the end of the day, this is going to be a Richardson. Is he hurt? Were they keeping him under wraps? Did they almost walk off the cliff keeping him under wraps? I'll say this. If they almost walked off the cliffs, cliff last week keeping him under wraps they're they're better poker players than than i give him credit for i think the guy's really banged up Mm. now Hendon hooker's been a little high on some of his throws he's been a little inaccurate to start games he's been red hot you know the after the first (laughs) quarter so to speak but does that concern you at all yeah especially for a game like this i mean how could you not be hyped up going into this well you have a good point and tennessee needs to start this game well I think a lot of times when you get in one of these series where one team owns another, I think a lot of times it can be a disadvantage to play in your own building. If you don't start that game well, all of a sudden the negative energy of that crowd walk in there, you know, it's everybody's gone crazy. And then all of a sudden, you know, starts game off poorly, uh, fumble early on, Florida goes down there and scores. All of a sudden, and then Tennessee comes out on offense and goes, you know, three and out or whatever, something like that. All of a sudden, that stadium gets awfully quiet, and a lot of that pressure is transferred to that 
young team. So these guys really have to start, really have to start well and, um, you know, knock it, knock that stuff out. Mm. Now, last thing for you, Tony, really appreciate your time. What's your favorite Tennessee, Florida memory? I, uh, the year of nine 11, I was down there in December. I used to do my, we used to do a simulcast, uh, back in the day where we would put my show on a Florida station. And then we would put a Steve Russell down there. We put his show on my airwaves and we would kind of go back and forth and have fun with it. <laughs> and that's pre-internet days, you know, or at, or early advent of the internet before everybody was streaming mm-hmm. <laughs> so long ago we drove all the way down for that game in december i had walking pneumonia this is a true story i'd walk in pneumonia my doctor kind of advised me not to go i remember um sleeping in a dingy hotel down there drinking codeine that codeine cough syrup stuff to, to sleep that I guess they call it the Zizzerp stuff, you know, they mix with, uh, they like to mix with drinks. Anyway, after that game, I'm set up on the top roof. This is true of an old establishment. there called the purple porpoise right off the Gainesville Avenue strip. And Tennessee fans figured out where that secret hatch was. And the guy there was pretty cool. And he let a bunch of people come up there and I'm doing a radio show back to Knoxville with a bunch of Tennessee people that wouldn't behave. And were taunting these Florida fans as they were walking out of there. And we were getting things thrown at us. We were getting flipped off. We were getting threatened. We were getting come down from there. I'm going to beat your ass. And everything in between. And, you know, the passion and the pageantry of doing this. That's my that's my favorite memory of the series. And it's not so much. Yeah, the winning because Tennessee gave it right back next week, you know, against LSU. Mm -hmm. It was the craziness of the moment and the thought of. Because Steve Spurrier left right after that. And the series after that was never as fun after Spurrier left. It was never. But for those 10 or 11 years there from uh, 1990, they played. And then and then when they put him in the same division and they played every year. I mean, there was nothing like that Tennessee-Florida game back in the 90s. And, and the funny thing about that 2001 game was. Tennessee went off that day as a 17-point underdog. So there was just a lot about that that screamed college football. And uh, being on the roof of that old place called the Purple Porpoise, (laughs) that'll never be forgotten by this living fan, I will tell you that. (laughs) All right, great stuff from Tony Basilio. Got to check out the Tony Basilio, especially after this Florida game. Tell the audience uh, one more time, where can they get that? T-Club. Dot team, the letter T, C L U B, T club, dot team. And I promise you this win, lose, or draw, Saturday's program is going to be <laughs> off the chain nuts. <laughs> I'll be tuned in. I know that. I'll promise you that.
Michael Bratton, I love you. I appreciate and congratulations on your success, man. I was looking at a I was looking at a uh, sheet the other day that tells me that you got the fastest growing deal in the southeast right now. So congratulations on everything you've done. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you, you know, taking this time and uh man, you truly are the best. I I, I don't forget you've been you've been a fan of mine for a long long time and I I never yes. forget it. You better believe it. I, I love you, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> I told y'all this interview did not disappoint and man, how many, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's just not many characters quite like Tony Basilio out there in the SEC landscape. And yeah, I hope you get a sense of that. I hope you check out his show after this Florida game. Like he said, win, lose or draw. God, it's, it's a shit show up there. I mean, this is the show that uh, these Kentucky people have found it when they beat Tennessee. God, they, I think they, they watch it uh, all night long to just hear people cry and break stuff. I mean, it it's a wild, wild show. Tony, is he's kind of like free therapy up in East Tennessee. So <laughs> I cannot recommend him enough. And then we also got Ty Richardson, ESPN, Arkansas radio host. Really good interview, especially the tail end here. I mean, he is not going to have a single friend if he did already in College Station. He buries Texas A&M. And keep in mind, this is his opinions. This is not me saying this stuff. This is Ty Richardson at Ty Sports Radio. Give him a, you know, get mad at him. Don't get mad at me for what he's about to say right here. Hey, we're pleased to be joined by friend of the show, Ty Richardson. You know him, host of the Morning Rush ESPN Arkansas. And you follow him at Ty Sports Radio on the Twitter machine. Ty, thanks for joining us once again. I really appreciate you. Absolutely, Mike. We are heading down to Texas yeah. today <laughs> to watch Arkansas play Texas A&M on Saturday. I cannot wait. It's going to be good to be back in the great city of Dallas, Texas. A lot of Arkansas fans. Big SEC matchups this week, and I know one is in, in Knoxville on your mind, but all eyes in our opinion, in Arkansas's opinion, it's going to be what's happening in, in Jerry World down there in Arlington. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Tennessee, Florida may have gotten game day, but I think just about everybody that, uh, you know, is not biased would tell you ten Arkansas, Texas A&M probably going to be the better game. And, hey, you've made it publicly known. No fan of them Aggies. So you are the perfect guest to come on the show to talk about this matchup. But before we get to that, I, you know, I just wanted to get your thoughts. What in the world was going on in your head last weekend during that Missouri State and Bobby Petrino game? Ooh, tell you what. So, interesting dynamic for me, Mike. I'm at a wedding reception, and watching this game with several of my buddies, and we are nervous, as Arkansas fans are, watching Missouri State take advantage of the Razorbacks for the majority of that football game. Outscored them 21-3. to A huge sigh of relief was basically across the board in that wedding reception. You heard several, give me the hog, Chuck, which is <laughs> Chuck Barrett, who's the voice of Razorback football and basketball, also does the morning show with Tommy and myself. It was just a sigh of relief, a breath of fresh air. and But, man, it was not always that case, Mike, watching that football game. Did, did that game make you nervous about Arkansas season at all, or is it you, you just think they're totally looking past the opponent? I think as much as Sam Pittman and his staff preach to these guys that 
this is an offensive genius in Bobby Petrino. They took Oklahoma State to the wire in Stillwater last year. This was not a game that they 100% realized was going to be as tough as it was. Until you actually step on that field and see that these guys across from you aren't FCS actual opponents. That's not an FCS football team. That's an FBS football team. Patino, Patrino brought, like, I want to say 48 transfers across the board on his roster. That's not an FCS team. And so they were getting whooped. Just to be honest, they turned the ball over, something Arkansas hasn't done this year. But to see them rally, to see them finish off the Bears in the fourth quarter, I think Arkansas fans felt like maybe the previous regimes would have lost that game. But Sam Pittman, he rallied the troops and he got it done. He And he gave credit to the players what they were able to do in the fourth quarter. Mm. Now shifting gears to the big game this weekend, I asked you off air, but I want to hear your reaction on air. Thoughts on A&M being the betting favorite I mean, any way you slice it, even I think some diehard A&M fans look at this game and say, man, I I think they would even favor Arkansas to win it. So what's your thoughts on that betting line? You know what? You're the actual first person that told me that A&M was favored in that football game and then in this football game. was a little surprised on Sunday when I saw that line and am still surprised it hasn't shifted to even money or even in Arkansas's favor. I think it's now more kind of that one-and-a-half one as we sit here doing this on a Thursday. So I think there's a chance before game time that it becomes even money because Arkansas fans, I think, are just going to flood Vegas. with. And I know it's not just about Arkansas fans. It's other money as well. It's about a pick them. So this is going to be a close football game. It has been – for the most part of this series, the last decade or so. I wasn't too annoyed by it, but I, I honestly kind of liked it. It's like, all right, you're still not going to respect us, even though Arkansas has the better football team. We'll prove it on Saturday. <laughs> Who needs this win more? To Arkansas to keep his dream season alive or AM? You know, I think last week against Miami, they they literally saved the season. Had they lost to Miami, the season would be over. And they got that win, obviously. They got a little momentum. They're still undefeated in conference play. Obviously, all their conference games remaining. But uh, who needs this game on Saturday more, Arkansas or Texas A&M? Mike, I think that's a great question. And you set it up perfectly. Dream season or to just kind of salvage what the season could have been. If A&M was to lose on Saturday, that would mean they'd start out 2-2. Two and two. And this team is not winning out in the SEC to get to that SEC title game if that was to play out that way. So that being said, I still think it's probably more facing A&M just because of their expectations that are coincided with that recruiting class that Jimbo Fisher and Texas and the oil money bought did not earn. They bought it. So that being said, I still think it's the Aggies, but Arkansas fans expect to win this game. Arkansas players expect to win this game. Sam Pittman and his staff aren't going to come out and say it, but they expect to win this game. So it's going to be a battle of ideals. It's a physical football game. AM's got a good defense. Arkansas's getting a good offense. One's going to break. Is it the Razorback or the Aggies? We'll find out at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. How big of a concern is Arkansas secondary in your mind going into this matchup with uh, obviously Catalan out for the year, unfortunately. Miles Slusher sounds like he's going to be good to go. How big of a red flag is that, or is it not much of one because A&M may not uh, you know, be suited to, to even take advantage of it? 
when you have a guy like Anaya Smith or Devon A. Chain in the Devon A. Chain in the backfield, that's going to cause problems for Arkansas in pass coverage. And I know A. Chain's a running back, but he can catch the football as well. Max Johnson shouldn't scare you, like blow you out of the water if you're an Arkansas fan or Barry Odom. But it's the remaining weeks after that you should be concerned about. It's when you have to battle Bryce Young, Will Rogers, and Jaron Hall back-to-back-to-back weeks. This is a good week for you to kind of collect yourselves, figure it out in the back end. I know Jalen Catalan's back out for the year, but you do have Slusher back, as you mentioned. That's going to be a big plus for Arkansas. You guys have got to figure it out in Arlington. Because if you can't figure it out against Max Johnson, you sure as heck ain't going to figure it out against those three quarterbacks that just listed with two of those being on the road, one in Starkville and one in Provo. Do you think uh, KJ Jefferson, if A&M forces him to win this game with his arm, do you have confidence that he can get that done? I have confidence in KJ Jefferson every game this season, and that includes Alabama. Luckily, they don't have to play Georgia this year. Maybe if you ask me about that, I'd be a <laughs> I'd give you a different answer, but KJ has shown there's this huge stigma around KJ. They can't throw the football. And honestly, it's, and it's not you, Mike, you're as high on KJ as any SEC or national media member. But this idea that he can't throw is ludicrous. He's proven people wrong time and time again. Ken O'Brien's puts him in great situations. We've seen his arm accuracy on the deep ball. Go back and watch the Missouri state game. He was throwing some precise deep passes in addition to ones that guys just dropped and he put them to only where his wide receiver can go get it. The interception he threw went off Trey Knox's hands and then went into the arms of the defender. I think if KJ is tasked to beat him throwing the football when in certain situations and certain coverages he might, I think he's going to burn Texas and him as long as Arkansas's wide receivers get open, which I think, again, that was a question mark heading into the season. Jaden Hazelwood, Matt Landers, Keetron Jackson, and others have shown that's not necessarily a question mark that they can get it done. But this is a good Aggie secondary with some talent and some athleticism. It's a good test for Arkansas's wide receivers on Saturday. Did you get an opportunity to watch um, the Miami A&M game? I watched – I'd be lying to you if I watched the game live. I watched some highlights. I know that Miami was able to to get some yardage on Texas A&M, but the scoring – I mean, we've always heard the phrase, bend but don't break. That's exactly what Texas A&M was in that game in College Station. Right. And on the yeah. other side, they, they just didn't overly impress me on offense, Mike. Yeah, they really limited A&M's defense. Credit A&M's defense for for locking it down in the red zone. But the only reason I bring that up, and I don't, you know, I don't like to sit here and trash players or anything. So I, this is not me trashing them. But I heard this Miami quarterback. You know, they're saying NFL quarterback, first round pick, and he did not impress me at all. And he he had a tight end that was pretty good, but he it didn't seem like he had a single capable receiver. And I'm sitting here wondering. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying KJ Jefferson is going to be first round pick I mean it's it's wild Ty how there's always 30 first round quarterbacks and then we get to the draft there's really two or three but uh, I just based on what I've seen KJ Jefferson is a hell of a lot better quarterback than the Miami one I just saw and he's surrounded by weapons that are better than him so I don't necessarily get that this is going to be an issue but I just wanted to make that point I, I don't know if you've seen this but AM they're there's 12th in the SEC and in, in run defense mm-hmm. yep. do you do you think 
Arkansas, I mean, hell, they got the hottest running back in the maybe even the country. He's number one in the SEC, Rocket Sanders. Do you think Rocket Sanders will find success against this A&M defense? I think you just go back to last year and saw and see what Arkansas did in the first half of that game. They ran all over Texas A&M. It was Traylon Smith. It was Dominique Johnson, Rocket Sanders, and then KJ gets injured in that ball game. The offense kind of takes a step back with Malik, but Arkansas had success running the football down their throats, and for the most part, Texas A&M couldn't stop it. I know it's a year-to-year difference. Texas A&M doesn't want to go through what they did last year, but Arkansas's offensive line has been really good this year. Sam Pittman's been very impressed. You mentioned Rocket Sanders. Here's a guy that played slot receiver a bunch of his high school career in Rockledge, and now he shifted over to running back, and he played some running back too. I don't want to be uh, incorrect on that. Played some running back in high school, guy just plays he's a football player you know you know there's guys that just you put them anywhere they'll make plays through sanders is another one rocket sanders is a football player and if you put him in good situations like kj and kennel Bryles is going to on saturday he's going to make plays and texas a&m's going to be hurting there's no question about it now i listened to your show this morning the morning rush check it out espn arkansas radio you made an interesting point Wondering if you could rehash it for the audience, but why you think Arkansas and that pass rush will be so critical uh, facing Max Johnson in this A&M offense? Well, I think when you look at Arkansas right now, 17 sacks this year, number one in college football. Last year, I think their season total was 25, if I remember that right. They didn't get to the quarterback last year. Barry Odom ran three down linemen, rushed them, dropped eight in coverage. And some games it worked. Some games it didn't. This year we've seen if you don't get to Spencer Rattler, Bryant, or Shelly, they're going to beat you. But a lot of time Arkansas gets home. It's not just about bringing the quarterback down and getting that sack. It's about the tackles for loss. It's about the quarterback hurries. It's about knocking him on his butt. Max Johnson, he has some mobility. I heard Jimbo Fisher touch on that this week, but he's not overly mobile. And he's also – I mentioned Anaya Smith earlier, who I'm not going to take any way, away from him. That guy's outstanding. But I just think that Arkansas, as long as they're able to get similar pressure, which they've done through the first three games, AM's going to have problems. And I think Arkansas's pass rush is going to get home a few times on Saturday night. Now, Ty, I know you're, you told me you're heading down tomorrow to Arlington. Uh, what can you tell Razorback fans, even Aggie fans, that maybe have never made that trip? Uh, what are the go-to spots? And, and where are you going to be posted up Friday night? Because I know it's, it's going to be the best place in town. I would say get there as early as possible. I think gates open four hours before, and they're legitimate gates that Jerry and his team lock because they don't want you tailgating before. <laughs> get there as early as you can. Get in line because it is – always tough to get to that part you've got texas live right nearby arlington and globe live park 18t stadium we're going to be at ksp henderson on friday from two to six and then i'm staying with my brother who you've gotten a chance to talk to mike i have no idea where we're going he lives in dallas i'm just going to follow him i've got a bunch of arkansas dallas friends that i haven't seen in a year or so that we're going to hang out with on Friday night. And then we're going to be back at KSB Anderson. And then Mike, we're going to do the post-game show from AT&T stadium. Got the clearance from Mr. Jones on that. Really excited. I've never done any sort of radio from there. So that's nice. kind of my weekend in a nutshell. There will be beers consumed at some point <laughs> during this venture, especially if Arkansas gets it done against the Aggies, man. All right. So hey, moment of truth, Ty, who you got winning the ball game? 
I think the difference is the quarterback position, and it's KJ Jefferson by a mile. This it's not even close. A and M, and you made the point on Feinbaum. That tweet is still pinned at the top <laughs> of my page, and you better believe it's going to get retweeted <laughs> if they win on Saturday night. But the point you made on Paul Feinbaum was A and M has a quarterback issue, and it's not just this year. It's been several years under Jimbo Fisher. Arkansas doesn't have a quarterback issue. You can make the case that they have the second-best quarterback in the Southeastern Conference. He's proven it through three football games, and he's got a big one on Saturday. But when you take what he has running, throwing the football, and the leadership factor that he has, no no disrespect to Mac Johnson from that perspective, because I know sometimes when you take the quarterback position over from another guy, it's hard to do that. K.J. has all that. He has all the intangibles, all the toughness, all the mobility that puts him over the top when it comes to every single comparison when it comes to Max Johnson and K.J. Jefferson. So I'm taking the Hogs. It's going to be close. It's going to be tight. My nails are going to be down (laughs) to the bitter end because I'll be chewing on them so much. But I'm taking Arkansas in a nail-biter Saturday night on ESPN, a grand stage in Mr. Jones's house. I can't wait, Mike. (laughs) Real quick, I I know – you just referenced that famous Feinbaum clip that you actually have pinned to your profiles. Oh yeah. The Aggies are not happy with me with that, but uh, so I don't know if you know this, I went on Tex Ags and man, they reamed me out. I heard from a Texas A&M media member this morning. I don't, I don't want to put his name out there cause I don't know if he wants us out there, but he said, I cannot wait for this SEC Mike David Nuno bowl showdown here in Arlington. So Hey, I'm right there with you, man. I it's like I need Arkansas to win to, to validate all those all my my big mouth. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mike. And uh, listen, you're you're one one of us, one of <laughs> us. And Saturday night, I think can definitely validate what you're said. But the point is, and I made this on the morning rush this morning. When you think about two of the most arrogant fan bases in all of sports, it's Texas and Texas A&M. I will give the Longhorns credit. They actually win championships in certain, and they've been to two national championships in the last two decades. I will give them that. Texas A&M has the same level of arrogance that Texas has, but there's nothing to back it up. Texas has some stuff to back it up. I know it's older in some cases, but they have stuff to back it up. A&M doesn't at all. I Outside the oil money, that is the only, only Level comparison between the Longhorns and the Aggies is the oil money. There's nothing else. They got the worst colors, the worst uniforms in all of college football. They have the worst tradition in all of college football, and they are the biggest losers in the Southeastern Conference. I have never met a fan base outside of maybe Missouri that I would like to hang out with least. I mean, it is amazing. And I know they are – and I'll, listen, they have some blue collar to them. I get that. But – The Aggie yell is the worst tradition in sports. It is embarrassing that they continue to trot up those just plain Jane losers on Friday night before games and spit out some of the most idiotic stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. It's a joke. College Station is a terrible place to live, raise a family, whatever. I know I'm going to get ripped by A&M fans after this, but I don't really care. It's the opinions of the sheep. They don't matter to a line. And Arkansas has got a bunch of lines in here. They're going to prove it on Saturday. K.J. Jefferson's going to run 
all over these guys and probably pass for 300 yards as well. Those are Ty's words, not mine, but I do appreciate the hotness coming from uh, Arkansas there, brother. I I appreciate you. This is is a hell of a time. Well, before you go, tell the audience where to find your work. Uh, At Ty Sports Radio on Twitter. I don't know if any AMM fan will be wanting to peruse that after (laughs) this show. And again, as Mike just said, he is very – there's like a disclaimer line in the podcast right now. These these words and opinions are not of Michael Braden and, and Cousin Shane's, but only of, of their guests or whatever. But, yeah, at Ty Sports Radio and then our show every morning, the morning rush from 6 to 9 weekdays on ESPN Arkansas and, and hit that line.com. <laughs> All right, once again, hey, those are Ty's words, not mine, but I sure as hell appreciate the fact that he shared them on this program to maybe get us uh, – <laughs> I mean, just imagine. I didn't want to say this, but if Arkansas loses, my God, he'll never live that down. Any of those comments, A&M, uh, that's going to be all over Texas in the morning, so to speak. So, <laughs> man, this has been one entertaining and fun show. Like I said, Cousin Shane will be back on the next episode to preview these weekend games in the sec cannot wait for another weekend of sec action but that is going to do it for this episode of the show we'll catch you on the next one